this is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager and Commander Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. If I only get in Star Wars someday, I will have made the trifecta. And you're listening to Neil Before Pod, because you are smart. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is way beyond the final frontier. I'm your host Craig and we are here to celebrate the most glorious of days, First Contact Day. We are 42 years away from the day itself. April 5th, 2063 is 42 years away and it's worth celebrating. So to help me chat about some Star Trek, I need to beam some people in. So, energising. On my transporter pad here, I have some willing participants. Angus, hello. Welcome aboard. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you for beaming you in in one piece, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Did I? It was a bit of a rough ride, but uh, I'm here now. That's good. And the other person that I beamed in, I didn't splice the two together, so that's a good start. It's been a while since I've used this contraption. But Natalie, hello. Hello. Happy first contact day. T minus. Thank you. Magic number 42. 42 years until things start to get better. (laughs) (laughs) The end of the world. Well, the end of the world's kind of before it because there's World War III. I feel like we've already lived through that. (laughs) So we're off to a great start. (laughs) We are. Optimism, optimism. Optimism. So we are here to discuss the ninth Star Trek film, or the third featuring the Next Generation crew, Star Trek Insurrection, because we did First Contact a while ago, so just making our way through random Star Trek movies. And I'm kind of doing all the not-so-good ones first, and then inflicting them on people that don't (laughs) really know a lot about Star Trek, because it amuses me, I suppose. So let's just start with our patented spoiler-free thoughts. So, Natalie, mm-hmm. what did you think of Insurrection? Without spoiling this 20-odd-year-old film. Without spoiling it. A wonderful musical delight. <laughs> <laughs> musical delight? I wonder what you're referring to there. Yeah, mysterious girl. I don't know. You were quite taken with some of the scenes. Yeah, and actually... Quite emotional. Yeah, surprised me. <laughs> cool. We'll dig into why that is. Angus, what were your thoughts? I was convinced that I'd seen all the Next Generation films. And then when we started watching this, I was thinking, right, okay, I'm sure I'll recognise bits when it gets going. Kept thinking, I don't think I've seen that before. I don't think I've seen them do that before. <laughs> I'm still convinced that I've seen it, but I'm, I'm either thinking it was... For me, so forgettable that I've completely wiped it from my mind. Or I just have never seen it before. And to me, it felt kind of like a feature-length episode. <laughs> it didn't feel... That's a common complaint. Is it spoiler-free? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't feel... Is it spoiler-free? 
Uh, no, I'm not, I, haven't, I haven't mentioned any spoilers so far. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was watching an episode of the TV show, and I guess it ties in with some of the TV series as well, so they kind of mentioned bits and pieces there, placing it kind of in that timeline. I went in thinking one thing, and I don't know what, I, maybe it's just my own memory that's just failing me now. <laughs> <laughs> I went in thinking I hadn't seen it, but then parts of it felt quite familiar. So I'm confused. I don't know if it's a massive spoiler to say, like, when Jordy shows up and he doesn't have his visor, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen the one where he doesn't have his visor, but now I'm thinking to myself, no, there must be some other time where he loses the visor because he gets the implants or something. And uh, Who's Jordy? Jordy. Jordy LaForge. Yeah. The guy who has blue eyes and then they're brown. He's actually blind. That was a kind of... Yeah, the guy who he has blue eyes, and then he's like, oh, this is something that I can't see normally. That was one of those plot points where I was thinking, yeah, I've definitely seen this one where he discusses this. But then I guess that's kind of a a thing that happens to Geordi quite a lot, isn't it? Stuff to do with his eyes and his sight. (laughs) His name is Geordi. I didn't know that. Yeah, and all of the next-gen films after Generations, because Generations is very much on the kind of TV show side of it in terms of the assets they're using. But First Contact, this, and Nemesis, Geordi has cybernetic implants that let him not wear the visor, so he isn't looking through a hairband <sighs> the whole time in the films. <laughs> See, there and now, I've kind of, I could have been at any point in any of those and thought I knew what I was watching. Turns <laughs> in out any of those three, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is why aliens don't have glasses. <laughs> <laughs> because Craig earlier today had a call back for me when I'd claimed apparently that aliens can't have glasses. And it's just because I believe aliens just have that little extra bit of technology. They don't need glasses. They can have... Because it depends on the alien. Implants. The aliens in this film wouldn't have that kind of technology or would refuse that kind of technology. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to that. (laughs) (laughs) What are your spoiler-free thoughts, Craig? So, I actually quite like this film. I get something out of it. I think it's not as good as it could be. And I think there's a original idea for it before it became this that's way better at least in concept of course the execution could have been horribly misapplied it could have just not been done well the original idea we'll probably talk a bit about that as we go on but I quite like it it's somewhat disposable not a lot of note really happens as you say Angus it is like a long episode and people use that as a criticism. But the funniest thing is, for Star Trek Beyond, people use the long episode as a compliment, which is quite funny. So in this case, it's not a good thing. It's just a long episode of The Next Generation, or at least according to some. And I think it's okay, but just kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Damn better than In the Darkness. Right, let's go down that route. <laughs> Wait, isn't In Darkness the new one? Yeah, don't get Craig started on that. I like to. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> the Benedict Cumberbatch one. That one yet? It's not. Oh, we have. That was the one we did. Yeah. Mm. Let's not do it. Let's, <laughs> not, let's not do it. Just uh, don't need to relitigate. I might have to relitigate that. I might have to relisten to that to predict <laughs> what you said. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> and you too, no? listeners. If you want to find out how much I hate Star Trek Into Darkness, listen to me talk about how much I hate oh, it for a long period of time. Fighting talk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so shall we go to spoiler alert then and 
get ready for spoiling everything. Yes, do I don't know if I can get like it. transformed again. Sound the alarm. Lose part of myself. No, no, I'll be going to spoiler alert. We're, we're all where we need to be. I'm going to raise the alert. <laughs> the condition okay, spoiler. It's, it's, it's just exhausting. over there. Is that the ship you can see over there? The spoiler deck. There we go. I'm really enjoying that Craig background actually because we're zooming and we don't usually zoom when we podcast. But I'm really enjoying that we are seeing Craig mm. on board. Peek the behind the curtain. Are you in like the library? <laughs> no, I'm on the bridge. Or is that? Oh, he's all on the bridge. It looks like you're in a really nice, like, yeah. circular wooden library. <laughs> are you in the library? It's like the classy version of the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, spoiler alert, all hands to spoil <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> okay, so here we go, we're ready. Start a bit with the story, we've got a bit of a conspiracy plot here. The Federation are kind of up to no good, they're mixing with some unsavoury elements to get rid of 600 people off a planet that they plan to pillage because it has some weird radiation that can make everyone young again and regenerate mm-hmm. people and all that good stuff. So I quite like this as an idea. And like I was saying before, the original idea was that the film was going to be called Star Trek Prime Directive and it was going to be a much more intense morality story about breaking rules for the greater good and things like that, which this film kind of does, but it doesn't mm-hmm. quite go into it as much as possible. But I do like the idea of the Federation principles just kind of taken to task. So it's what happens when... What really happens when they are tested and they are desperate and do those principles hold up when they're desperate? And at least in the case of this Admiral and presumably the people that greenlit this mission, no, they don't when they feel desperate because elsewhere in the universe at this point there's a war raging and it's the worst war they've ever been in Deep Space Nine it was a war against the Dominion there were incalculable losses they were very powerful they were getting their asses handed to them really and that creates this kind of desperation of we need people in their prime we need people focused and this mission will help us do that I guess so what did you think of this whole conspiracy thing do you think it did enough or do you think it was a bit ham-fisted isn't Deep Space Space Nine, like a different TV show? It is, but it's set in the same universe. You know how, like... <laughs> what? <laughs> we're going what? back to first principles here. Captain Marvel is set in the same universe as Iron Man. It's a bit like that. <laughs> oh, crikey. Wait, wait, one thing at a time. <laughs> anyway, I feel like I'm going to Okay. Do I think the conspiracy plot is done enough? If you're looking overall, yeah. I thought that wasn't quite well. If we're going to talk about the opening scene and throwing us straight into everything. Do you think that was done well? Mm, no, because I spent the first 15 minutes going, what the hell's going on? I had no clue. <laughs> no clue. But I did quite like the little conspiracy plot. I found it quite frustrating, and that can sometimes be the sign of a good film. I thought, yeah, it took a wee bit to get going and to really kind of get you into it to unfold I think once it got going Daughtry seemed a bit like he was acting on his own even though he, you know, he was supposed to have the weight of the Federation behind him but because he never really saw any of that and it was just kind of him yeah. hanging around with some aliens 
it made it feel a bit more like it was just him going a bit rogue, even though they kept telling you this is for the Federation, this is for the good of the galaxy, etc. Yeah, that's just how it came across to me. It just felt a lot like it was him kind of dropped into playing a bit of that turning rogue type character. Is Doctor the Admiral? Yeah. Cool. I didn't know that. Doherty, but yes. <laughs> huh? It's not the singer Chris Daughtry. It's <laughs> Doherty. Doherty. Yeah. <laughs> Doherty. The guy Doherty. from The Matrix Reloaded as well. He's some governor or whatever in The Matrix Reloaded. He made an impression on me for sure because I did not know that. I knew him from somewhere. I could not tell you where, but he looked familiar. He looks a bit like, um, what's that guy called? That was one of the wizards of Waverly Lord Place? of the Rings. Who's one of the... Christopher Lee. Is it the white Yeah, beard? he looks a little... In my head, he looks a lot bit like Christopher Lee. He looks Lee. a bit like Count Dooku. Yeah. What about Richard Attenborough? He looks a bit like him too, because he has the white <laughs> Well, he could well. He could well. Maybe it's just men of that time. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I think it does seem like he's gone rogue, and I wonder if it's one of those things where the mission was greenlit and then no one really asked questions about what was going on and what it would mean. I actually think the whole 600 people being moved against their will issue is a really interesting one that doesn't get a lot of attention because Picard just adopts the this is wrong approach, which, yeah, fine, okay, it's these people's home and you're taking them from it. But when you consider the net benefit of the success of this thing is that countless billions of people could be healthier is the fact that these 600 mm-hmm. people will be inconvenienced by being moved to another planet important? Should they have the right to just exist there by themselves or are they incredibly selfish by saying, no, we're staying put? But there's also the point of the planets in Federation space, but they're not members of the Federation. So basically there's the tw- Federation tw- have just drawn a big circle round a 2D map of three-dimensional space and decided everything in here is ours, including this planet. Mm. But these 600 people aren't citizens of our organisation so that's a separate issue as well yeah I think it does bring up quite a lot of things and again I was sort of like trying to figure out when was it filmed I thought it was filmed when it had been released just before 1998 but Gus said it was filmed actually a few years earlier than that so I was trying to figure out what was going on in the world at the time and the mid-90s so the largest amount of forced displacement of people. So you had millions Mm. and millions of people forced out of their countries, their homes, everything. And I feel like this, I was going to say episode, I feel like this movie (laughs) is a critique on that. I feel like they've taken what was going on around them in the world and they've just turned it into like a feature-length episode where they go look at what the UN are doing. I feel like the Federation is totally the UN and they're trying to make some sort of comment on that. But I think it doesn't matter if it would benefit lots of other people, I guess. Look at how they do it. They just want to destroy everything. Well, real world inspiration aside, yeah. I thought it was interesting that the inhabitants of that planet weren't the original inhabitants mm-hmm. or they weren't the native species or whatever. Yeah. And I wondered if they kind of just threw that in to add a bit of moral ambiguity as well. Yeah. Because I think that they were saying, you know, they didn't want to go against the Prime Directive, but of course it didn't apply. Craig, what do you think? Can you clear that up? <laughs> well, 
the thing about the Prime Directive, and I've said this on previous podcasts, is that it's applied as this dogmatic rule that you can't break, except there are several episodes where they discuss things about breaking it. But the whole point of a rule is it's a guideline, and it doesn't apply in all cases, especially mm-hmm. with something as complex as this. So there's points where, for example, Picard made a decision to reveal himself to the inhabitants, even though they weren't technologically advanced, because they've seen us anyway. So we can mitigate the damage a bit by trying to educate them. So we'll do that, or this planet is going to be destroyed, or the people on the planet will be destroyed by this volcano, which again, corrupts up in the good bit of Into Darkness, where, well, we can save them, but that gets around their natural evolution, but we're here. So... Can we save them? Should we save them? So it is something where you would encounter a thing. The Prime Directive says this, but we're going to sit here and we'll have a chat about it on a case-by-case basis and see what the best thing to do is. That just makes me think of the arguments about pandas, about whether they should be saved from extinction because they're kind of too dumb to procreate. (laughs) And that's like that thing of, well, do you let them just go extinct or do you give them a helping hand? So kind of like that, yeah. It might come down to how cute they are. Do the pandas deserve to exist by themselves or <laughs> should the natural course of evolution that they be wiped out because of their inability to breed yeah. or their lack of interest yeah. in breeding? Although we do have a hand in their extinction, so there's arguably a sense of responsibility on our point here. But Yeah, for, well, for sure. It's one of those questions, isn't it? But with the Baku, there is no attachment in that sense. But there's actually a similar episode in Next Generation where it's funny enough a colony of Native Americans because sometimes Next Generation just wasn't subtle. But they were Federation members. <laughs> and the whole point was they had to give up their planet because of a peace treaty or something. And they refused to move. So Picard said, your only option is leave the Federation. Then we can't touch you. Then you're here. It's your planet. You can leave the Federation, but we also won't come to your aid if... You need it, so you're on your own. And they did, because their home was more important to them. So in that sense, the Baku shouldn't be able to be interfered with at all by the Federation, because they're not citizens. The planet happens to be in Federation space, as they've drawn that box. It's very iffy, and the film doesn't explore that, and then it's the whole point of they think they're primitive, in the sense that they don't understand what technology or aliens is, but then they find out that they are, and... There's all that. So they could have asked, I suppose. Yeah, they've moved beyond that technology. Yeah. I just want to call out that we were only a short hop away from a mention of Kung Fu Panda there, which was, I thought, going to be inevitable. But <laughs> there we go, I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've brought it in just by yeah. having said it. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because I did think about the whole them mentioning that they're not indigenous, they've only been here for 400 years as an excuse given for why they could just be removed and displaced. Again, I was just trying to think about they're not subtle, and if they've not been subtle then this must have been something going on, and just before when you were talking, I just thought Israel and Palestine. I just feel like Star Trek which is set in the future, can't get away from what was going on in the, the 90s or the 80s or whenever. It seems like they use it as a vessel for talking about current events. Well, that's what good sci-fi should do, shouldn't it? Are you trying to suggest that Star Trek used science fiction to 
cocktail morality plays that are relevant to modern day culture. I want to know what the future holds. I want to know what the future looks like. We always just like reset every time we watch one of these and come back to it again. I can't believe they're tackling, you know, mid 90s social issues. It's just interesting. The whole point of Star Trek was in the Federation, all the problems have been fixed and we can explore essentially how alien races are still doing it wrong because we're doing it right and it's showing them how it's right. But I think in this case, mm-hmm. the Federation are bordering on wrong, but... Shady. They're so shady. The issue's too muddied because the Baku, well, they don't belong on this planet, but that's irrelevant because they're there. They've called it home for a long time. So saying mm. you don't have any right to live here is pointless because they do. Mm-hmm. They're already there. But... Then there's the argument of, are the Baku selfish by staying there and prohibiting people from benefiting from this when they could be living on another planet and also benefiting from the same stuff? So it's not that they would be impacted in any measurable way, assuming the plan works and the science is sound and stuff. But I guess once they find out, okay, these people understand what aliens are, they understand advanced technology, etc., there should be a conversation where they sit down and have a chat about, here's what we're trying to do here. And is that something that you'd be interested in? Let's bear in mind how many people can benefit from this. Yeah, but it's never really addressed that way. It's just a kind of black or white, should they stay, should they go? Yeah. And the whole, let's start by just forcibly removing them and sticking them in a hollow ship and moving them to another planet. That's wrong, yes. But at least let them know what you're trying to do and then judge it from there. I mean, that long life mineral vibrations or whatever could easily just be oil and it could just be well if you're not doing anything with it then let us do something with it and it's just yeah awful because it's just like a clear way of looking at how profit and exploitative extractive industries have gone in and taken over people's homes basically yeah people have to understand like they don't have a right it doesn't matter if it's going to be a benefit to you, you don't have a right to go in and do that to other people. Basically. You can sort of understand the pitch of the original plan. We've got this primitive culture living on this planet. If we quietly beam them up to this hollow ship when they're in their sleep, spend a few days warping them to some similar looking planet, deposit them, set up their houses the way they're all set up, no one will know the difference. So from the point of view of this primitive culture that don't understand what's going on, they won't notice what we've done here. So you can understand why that pitch would be, yes, that sounds uh, simple enough, let's do that. And then we have this planet. But then, as I say, once it becomes known how knowledgeable they are about things beyond their borders and things, then that's when you have the conversation. We're going to sit down with whoever your leaders are and we're going to explain what we're trying to do here. Apologise for the forced relocation thing. That was our bad. Sorry. But here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to... Use the properties of your planet to benefit countless people. And is that something that you want to get in on? No, but it's not for countless people, though. It's only for those guys. It's only for the wax skin guys. (laughs) Yeah, but they were kind of spinning it that this would be able to be kind of... It would improve medical technology throughout the galaxy. And so loads of... They're saying that, but I don't... What I don't understand is if they were willing to go to all that trouble of relocating them, why wouldn't they just bump them off? Because 
if you're cutthroat enough to say, right, let's interfere with these guys, let's move them out, let's kind of dupe them, move them during their sleep, transport them to a, a hollow ship. Nice federation on board. I know, I know, but I just think if you're that underhand about everything, you'd think, well, it's just 600 people, we could just kind of wipe them out and then we can do what we want with the place. Well, the problem is, from the Sonan's point of view, the planet's in federation space, so they can't go and just level a village on a planet without inviting some kind of confrontation. Mm -hmm. I want to know, how big is this planet? Because there's only 600 people living there. Well, how big it is is fairly irrelevant, but there is just the one colony of 600 people. Is there not space for anybody else? Picard does suggest that. Let's set up a separate colony for the Sona until we can hash this out. And yeah, that colony could be on another continent and they'd never see each other. That would be potentially fine. However, there's that whole thing about these people have been messing with their DNA for so long that they won't survive another decade so that's not an option right now What, the people who get their skin stapled on? Yeah, the Sona Yeah, Our only option is to render this planet uninhabitable Our only option is to cut down the rainforest apparently, that's the only choice we have in this instance, or that's all the Sona are willing to let us do It is difficult when you're dealing with a relatively small number of people, but on a sort of planetary scale, (laughs) and you've got to try and work in enough (laughs) plot contrivance to say, right, this is why we can't do this, this is why 600 people need to have this planet all to themselves it's a planet because we're dealing with sci-fi, but 600 is a small enough number where we could then have the 1,000, 10,000, a million sort of speech to question how many people you'd be willing to mess with But they bring that up as well, because Picard later wants people to become the face of the crisis and show that you're a real person and that this is a real thing that's affecting you and it was really interesting because they were viewing 600 people like oh that's so many people they'll forget that you're people and you have feelings and you care and all this kind of stuff I thought it was very interesting it felt very real that's what people try and do isn't it they try and put a face to crisis yeah well in covid times in which we live we hear every day about how many deaths there's been since yeah. the last update and things. And mm-hmm. it's numbers, but each of those is, deaths yeah. is a person. So, sure. yeah, from a statistical point of view, 600 people doesn't seem like a lot. But 600 mm-hmm. people who are happy with their living situation is a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. It just depends how you look at it. So I think the issue is more complicated than the film allows it to be and I think they just skirt around certain Mm -hmm. bits because what they do is they adopt the Admiral Doherty and Sona equals bad, Picard and crew equals good and they don't like this pillaging of this planet and these people so they're going to rebel and take matters into their own own hands to stop Mm -hmm. this forced relocation which, yeah, you could understand why they would be like that but make the issue less complicated if that's what you want your film to be. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like a very contemporary news story that they turned into a movie. I do keep going to call it an episode, though, because it just felt like a long episode in the middle of a season as well. I didn't even feel like it was a start or an end of anything. I just felt <laughs> like... a season finale. I just was like, what the hell is going on? Who, what, and why? And then there's some other things we've definitely definitely not mentioned yet but I hope we do discuss for a lot of it I was a bit like was this just on TV was it just on TV <laughs> or did it have an actual cinematic release no it was a theatrical release I saw it in the cinema wow 
that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Truly incredible. When you look at the scale of First Contact, First Contact feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. Even Nemesis feels like a movie, but yeah, this doesn't. Which I suppose for me is neither good nor bad because I kind of judge Star Trek on a different barometer, mm-hmm. judge other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Star Trek movie. It's one of them. It's one of the odd numbered ones, which means it's probably a bad one. So. <laughs> I, don't I don't think it's that bad, actually, but. I find myself really interested in the actual issue at play and the older I get and when I watch it again, I get more yeah. interested and I want to explore that issue that's at play. But the film doesn't want to do that because it mm-hmm. just wants it to be there. No, moving these 600 people is wrong. doesn't matter why you're doing it. We're going to stop you. And then that's mm-hmm. what it descends into, really. Picard has the hots for some lady, so therefore he's going to protect. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it does have but, some interesting themes that it's trying to approach, but never really properly sinks its teeth into them. Because it's got too many other things stirring no. about. We've got beyond beliefs, factor fiction going around, shaving his beard off in a bathtub. <laughs> what are you doing? False. Can you get candles in space? We made yes. this one up. Oh God. Candles in space. What? I thought that was a really interesting thing. I was like, would you even be allowed on the ship open flames? Could have been hollow candles. They didn't look hollow to me. (laughs) Well, the whole point is the holographic village wouldn't look like a hollow village. Right. Well, was it a hollow bath? Anyway. Could have been. It was just very interesting. I don't know. Riker's the first officer. He could have a bath in his quarters. He looks completely different without a beard. I was shook. The IMDB trivia <laughs> has a whole section on Riker's beard. And really? Yeah, like how many times he's appeared beardless. <gasps> and What's the answer? I'd love to be able to quote it all to you, but there's some homework for everyone to go and do. Go and check out the IMDB trivia and check out the Riker's beard section. So how many times has he been without a beard? Basically all of season one of TNG. So that's like 26 episodes, 25 episodes, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. He's beardless for that whole season. He directed this, right? So it does say that he... Amazing decided to go beardless in this film in response to fan, not pressure, but um, fans telling him that they wanted to see the beardless Riker what? again. But he looks really good. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure beard. it mentions female fan adulation convinced Riker to go for, <laughs> or Jonathan Frakes rather, to go beardless. Well, that's a shame that he bowed to peer pressure. I, I, you know, anyone can write IMDb trivia, so... Can they? Presumably so. <laughs> it was Jonathan Frakes that wrote I'm it. I'm on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have no Women idea the veracity of that. And then they loved me after I did. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. That, that was the most interesting tip. He is, is a weird and wonderful part of that film. And I think it's only because I know him primarily as the Beyond Belief guy. That's how I know him, and that is my go-to. So I just go, wow, I can't believe this presenter for the show became an actor. (laughs) Not that he was an actor already, and then became the presenter of an obscure TV show that's now shown and living, or whatever. But for me, he will always be the Beyond Belief factor fiction guy. This is something that maybe people in the UK will only meet aware of but I think when he shaves his beard off he looks a bit like Dale Winton the TV presenter no he doesn't (laughs) no he He doesn't he needs to be way more orange I think for that yeah and thinner (laughs) 
And by thinner, I just mean they're different body types, for sure. <laughs> now, Riker had put on a few pounds by this point. <laughs> no, but it's, it might be just more his natural body shape. I think that Dill Winton and Jonathan Frakes have different body types and should not be compared. I just think in the face they look a bit similar when he shaves his beard. Maybe we just need to see like, a side by side. I do think he looks a little bit like someone else, a little bit, but I can't put a finger on it. I really hope it's not Dilwinton, but maybe I need to look at the two side by side. I mean, I've certainly never seen them in the same room at the same time. Give me so. a picture of Dilwinton and we'll draw a beard on it. Oh my god, I can't imagine with a beard. It'd be like that scene in Superman 2 where Lois Lane Maybe draws a goatee. Clark Kent over the Superman picture in the newspaper. It's like, oh my god, they're the same guy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, it's a good point to talk about Riker. I actually think he has an arc in this film of sorts. It's not a big one, but I get the impression that he's kind of undergoing a bit of a midlife crisis. I mean, he does say that in the film. I think I'm having a midlife crisis. But he's doing that to fit with Troy. I thought that was the influence of the planet. No, because they weren't there yet. Oh, right. Oh, well then, yeah, he's definitely having a bit of a crazy time. One of the recurring things in Next Generation is that he refused to be promoted to captain and leave the ship. And it was that kind of, he's stuck. Why? He's stuck in this job because he doesn't want to move on because he's comfortable in the job that he's doing and things and I feel like this film is the point where he mm. decides no no I'm going to take that step now finally after 10 years or however yeah. long it's been and no one wants to make me captain now because I've turned it down so many times but I'm ready and then the next film he's preparing <laughs> to go to his own ship he looked very comfortable well, he always does he knows what he's doing he looked yeah. very comfortable sitting in that chair yeah. trashing Picard's ship yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> I actually like the space combat in this film a lot. It's, again, not very long, but I think it works really well because I think it's character-driven in the way that everyone interacts as they're participating in that sequence. By space combat, do you mean CGI? Well, the cuts between the bridge and yeah, the CGI ships fighting. I'm just forever thinking about how people think the moon landing was CGI. <laughs> and I think... In the 60s. Look this at what was... CGI looked like back then. <laughs> yeah, just check what they were doing in like 1990 or whatever. No. <laughs> well, I've clearly done my research on IMDb because in the trivia of that, <laughs> I learned that ILM were involved in the CG for the first two generations movies. Yeah, right? that's right. This is the third one. Yeah. And by that time, ILM were working on Phantom Menace and probably something else. And that's maybe why it doesn't look quite as good. Because they had too many projects. Because they, they were like, on. we're really a George Lucas kind of thing. So wow. when Star Wars comes calling, yeah. wow. we're going to make some that's Jake rude. Lloyd. I think the film looks fine. The ships look a bit chrome and shiny, I think. But other than that, I think yeah. it looks all right. I disagree because... I'm so used to HD life now. <laughs> so I um, I was looking at it and I was like, if the whole thing was animated, I could get behind it and I could believe that I'm watching an animated TV show. It looks like an episode of Reboot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was good. In fact, it triggered me. I went into like a whole... Wow, everything I must have thought was really cool in the 90s, CGI-wise, 
Must be absolutely terrible, except Jurassic Park. You start having a mid-Riker crisis. <laughs> mid-Riker crisis, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what that will now be known as forever. Yeah. So I do enjoy the space combat in this film, even though it's not very long. I do like how kind of tactical it is, because there's a lot of Star Trek, especially in Voyager, where space battles amount to... You cut between the bridge and outside and there'll be shots exchanged and someone will report how low the shields are getting. And there isn't really any of that. There is a point mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. one guy says shields down to 60%. But that's about it. But then it's about, okay, we're going <laughs> to yeah. fly through this cloud and we're going to pull in all this gas and then we're going to throw it at them and then all that stuff. And there's a couple of bits as well where Riker orders full impulse and Geordi's like, I don't think the manifold can handle it. And he's like, well, we're doing it anyway. And then Geordi's just like, I'll be in engineering. Mm-hmm. As if to say... Oh god, here we go. <laughs> I'll need I'm needed down there. I mean, why is he on the bridge anyway? He's the engineer, but that's another mm-hmm. question. And he doesn't want to miss it on the action. That, he doesn't want to miss shields it. shields at 60% guy could have recorded all of his scenes in about 20 minutes because all he Did does he is just stand, there? stand next to the podium oh, yeah, yeah. and give like a wee update status report. <laughs> yeah. There is a bit where he chuckles along with Picard when Picard calls out Worf for being late. And it's like, we'll skip the court martial this time. The guy's like, oh, good one, sir. Such a crawler. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Going back to the scene where they go into the space cloud, it made me think of Star Wars. It made me think of Finding Nemo. Don't they go into a bit where there's lots of jellyfish? It made me think of that. Yeah, I think it was inspired by the briar patch. I think so too. <laughs> and I think even in The Little Mermaid... They do something like that as well, trying to avoid the sharks. So, I mean, it's a classic move. Enjoyed <laughs> it. it. Made me think of Finding Nemo. There's always a nebula hiding in Star Trek. It's, it's a pretty common staple. We've got all this advanced technology, mm. but it can't see through condensed gas in an area. Is there Star Trek bingo? I'd be keen to do that for the next one. Bingo. Star Trek bingo. <laughs> yeah. Like a Star Trek drinking game. It's got to be that. No, yeah. well, it doesn't have a drinking game, but it's just like a Star Trek bingo. Where you have your nebula, you have a make it so, you have your shields down to whatever, you have a sing-along. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, do some Gilbert and Sullivan. Honestly, I'm banging my tongue so much. At that point, you just looked at me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I definitely just looked at Gus like, what? What are we watching? What are we watching? And is this real? Is this <laughs> real? Am I... What are we watching? I was very confused. I guess every TV show does this. Buffy did it. Scrubs did it. And I just thought, it's Star Trek's turn to just do a musical episode. And I thought, maybe someday it's going mental and we just have to watch the whole thing <laughs> as a musical. Which, actually, I might be okay with. (laughs) It's kind of a callback to Next Generation, because Data would do a lot of creative stuff. So he would do a lot of acting or singing or whatever. It's just Brent Spiner's a talented guy, and they just wanted to let him go nuts sometimes. And that's fair enough. So that's why you have this HMS Pinafore scene. It's hilarious, because they're in a combat situation. That's really cute. Yeah. So they're in a shuttle that's at red alert. So what do you need when you're at red alert? Weapons? Shields? Engines, a few other things, and the karaoke software. And it needs to be within three <laughs> buttons. Yeah. Because he only presses three buttons yeah. and then he finds it. So, like, 
So what is going we on here? We laughed a lot about that because you pointed that out, the whole jumping <laughs> the ball, ball above the words. But they couldn't yeah. play music. Like, <laughs> <some reason. laughs> you are the music. That was crazy. And that's in what, like the first 10 minutes? I was like, we're in Not for a Not quite, but it's, it's, it's early on, yeah. It's so early. <laughs> but I think it's a good resolution actually in a way because it's not as simple as oh we're just gonna get a tractor beam on them and now we've got them or whatever it's we'll distract them with music Mm. but data can also do a billion things at once because of his android brain so it doesn't seem like he'd be all that distracted by the the signal (laughs) they're appealing to the human side (laughs) of him he also could probably hear Picard whispering, <laughs> prepare the docking clamps. Yeah. No, very interesting choices. And it's a very crazy movie, I have to be honest. It does make really good use of Michael Dorn's comic timing as well, where Picard asks him, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? And he says, no, sir. I haven't had the chance to meet all these new crew members since I've been back. <laughs> <laughs> I do not remember that. I caught that. <laughs> <laughs> When Picard's like, sing Worf, sing, and he just shakes his head, just looking a bit sheepish. <laughs> Absolutely not. And then he does, he gets involved, he gets into it. It's like when you go to a karaoke night you and you're like, I'm not it. singing, and then three songs in, you're like, give me that book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you think this movie influenced Carpool Karaoke? I very much doubt it. I wanted you to say it, it was possible. I'm I not sure this movie possible. influenced anything. Well, the IMDb trivia says... What does it say? Absolutely nothing about the karaoke. Oh, what? <laughs> Absolutely nothing about it. It's rude to ignore it. Just remember, when you're at Red Alert, make sure the karaoke machine is prioritised. Mm-hmm. You never know when you'll need it. Yeah. It's almost similar to the resolution in Star Trek Beyond, I suppose, where they use music to defeat the, the swarm of enemies. Almost. Just crazy. Can we talk about... Data becoming a flotation device. (laughs) (laughs) If you must. Because of that, I just wrote inflatable dick shelf. (laughs) (laughs) That is also weird. So we've got the musical interlude, chase sequence, and then we've got data. Being weird after saying... It's the cheesy balloon inflating sound as well, isn't it? That really completes it. Oh my god, yeah. Like, you know, what part of him is making yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially because I wrote down as well that his last memory, when they're like, oh, what is your last memory? What is the last thing that you think of? And then he starts singing again. And then they're like, no, not this one. And then he's like, oh, my last memory is of going into the hills following some children. <laughs> and I was like... You're an absolute creep. Stranger danger. You're an absolute creep. <laughs> he's in his invisible suit. Mm-hmm. Stranger danger indeed. <laughs> yes. Like, what an absolute creep. <laughs> so many weird things. Yeah. Data becoming a flotation device is ridiculous and it's contradictory to what he can do before because they mentioned in Next Generation him and Jordy went fishing once and Data decided he was going to jump in but it turns out he can't swim so all he did was walk along the bottom and they have to get all the water out of them. <laughs> well, you can't walk along the bottom if you're inflated. He does both in this, though. He kind of walks into the <laughs> Oh, yeah, lake, he does. And then at another point swims, dives in, swims, becomes a flotation device. He's obviously had a few upgrades. <laughs> what does he do when he walks in again? He walks into... 
Why does he do that? Take a reading of something. Oh, what is He's that? following some readings and then he soaks the hollow ship so that we can see it. Like he drains the lake. Mm. Mm. But the Baku, for a race that have rejected technology, they sure have a lot of it. An irrigation system is still technology. Baku? I can't remember them really that much other than that lady. And that kid that's got that really terrible little hippo mouse. They're unlikable and unmemorable. And they're also all white. Did you notice that? Every single one of them yeah. are white. They're essentially elves. That's what they yeah. are. They sit there and judge you because mm-hmm. they do everything better. Well, we believe when you create a machine to do the work of a man, you take something away from a man. Do you? Okay. What do you take away from the man? Also, <laughs> let's look at all those machines that you're using to farm your crops and things. Yeah, I did like their sort of use of being able to be in the moment and slow down time. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it's all kind of... New agey crap. And weird. And romantic. <laughs> it was really nice. And he's all like, I understand. How are you doing that? How are you doing that? <laughs> Did I sound more like him than you? Yes. Sweet. <laughs> it's my dream to sound like Picard. It all just kind of supports that superiority complex that they seem to have, though. It's like, wow, we're much more mentally advanced than you are. Watch, I can make this hummingbird slow down. See? I'm doing it right now. It's not doing that by itself. It's all that kind of stuff. But they're not making it slow down. They're just in a different mindset where they can observe things. Mm. At that they're not slowing that hummingbird down. They're slowing themselves down. But it's all about, look at how much we've achieved and all we had to do was turn our back on technology. Incredible. Go take your sanctimonious crap somewhere else. Thanks. I'd go hang out with them for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. It was all a bit half-baked, I think. Is that just because they don't wear really colourful clothing? Although it was a bit of an Amish equivalent where they Mm. said that some of their younger members of their society could decide to leave or something. Isn't that Amish people, they can go away and then decide, no, actually, I like living Mm. with no technology, I'll come back. Yeah, they turned it into a TV show a few years ago. But they kicked out the Sona. That's what they said, they kicked them out because they were unsavoury or whatever. And then they unnaturally extended their lives trying to get revenge and that's what the whole thing is. Again, it's not a very strong villain plot and I think Rafo is quite underdone as a villain, although F. Murray Abraham plays him very well. But it's really hard to take him seriously when he's when when he's snarling at you from the sofa that's on his bridge. The command sofa that he's Oh yeah, his plush oh, command sofa. He's so fancy. <laughs> I like that, yeah. He's sitting there so threatening fancy. people, but it's like you're on a two seater, mate, that's Calm down here. <laughs> yeah, I think he was showing people though how it can be done. You don't need to have your chromes. Enjoy like, soft down. furnishings. Yeah, live a little. Get a bit of the lushness. Yeah. That was pretty good. Just seems ridiculous that he's sitting in the sofa but he's talking about killing 600 people. And they're his family. But he's also got mega anger issues because there's definitely a scene where he's just had part of his face stapled back onto his head at some point, I don't really know how and then he's so angry, he says no and then blood just starts coming from his head and you're that like, scene always wow, bothers like, me he's, he's so mean and powerful yeah, it always bothers me, he's like dripping so blood stupid. all over Picard's carpet to his ready room it's like, this is his mm-hmm. office, you're just dripping blood everywhere no <laughs> he has some great nose towards the end of the film as well oh my gosh, he has got some wonderful pre-verbal Sounds going on. Yeah, oh, those were excellent. Those were yeah, fantastic. 
that scream when he realises that he's been mm-hmm. duped that kind of carries out into space. I don't know why they didn't do do the classic buffalo herd stampede or lots of birds flying flying from the trees. (laughs) (laughs) Cut back down to the planet, that weird. Those weird hummingbirds just go nuts and fly off. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, that's the picture created in my head. That's another problem the film has as well, because the villain motivation is it's in the last half hour or something. It's like, oh, look, they're the same race. Okay, now we're getting something. And now it's Mm -hmm. just a revenge plot. But you don't find out enough about it, really. And are they right to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like they just wanted to be like, surprise, plot twist. But actually you're thinking, or I definitely was thinking, they could have done more with so many things, but that would have been quite a bit more interesting to have introduced a little bit sooner. They yeah. focus a lot on this relationship, I think. We need these people to be bad. That's what it was. We just need these people yeah. to be unequivocally bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't have you thinking, yeah. sympathising with them in any way. I definitely did not sympathise with them in any way at all. But I do think that they just spend a lot of the time focusing between Picard and the Federation and then just this wonderful blossoming relationship between Picard and what's, what's her face? <laughs> sure. Bless you. Because <laughs> well, like, yeah. If you don't understand somebody's name, that's rude. So I think their relationship is quite lovely, but I also feel like that's a whole other story. It was interesting. It did feel like. You needed a follow-up episode to find out what happened next to everybody. I think that one of the things that contributed to it feeling so episodic, because it did feel like, a okay, here's the love interest for this particular episode. Yeah. Something's going to blossom between them. And then by the end, nah, I can't stay here with you. So he does have 318 Earth holiday days coming up or whatever. He does, and he intends to use them. But I'm not coming back here. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah that's a lot of holidays is that because their years are like a thousand days long well no it's, there's probably a number of factors Picard is a workaholic he doesn't like to take time off so his holiday days is just accumulate there's also the fact that there's a war on so they're probably not letting one of their best people take a lot of holidays and also the galaxy's so big that it takes so long to get anywhere so you might take two weeks off but you can, can't go that far yeah, well, that's why I wondered. Why? Um, I just thought maybe their years are like a thousand days. No, no, still three hundred sixty-five days. Why? They're At not least on Enterprise on time. It's just the standard time they adopt. Well, that's not very space. Yeah. Is it explained why, if they're in the middle of a war, the Enterprise is off dealing with six hundred people on a planet somewhere? Well, they're not supposed to. They went there. Against orders, remember. They're supposed to go to the Boring <laughs> system and, and do something there. They happen to be there because they encounter Data. Oh, right, okay. Apologies. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They heard about what Data did and Picard was like, we're going to stop by over there, but we're on our way to this place. And Jordy's like, but they are in opposite directions, sir. And he's like, oh, are they? They go, oh, Picard. Mm. Can't cage this animal. He does what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask us when we were watching this, I said to me, is this the precursor to Picard, the TV show, which... Well, not really. I have to admit, I don't think I finished watching it. Because Gus had said there's things in between. 
I actually prefer the version of Picard in this show to the one in the TV show, but that's another story. As in, in the Picard TV show. I don't really like the Picard TV show that much. Is that just because he's older? No, I just don't think they do a lot of things mm. as well as they should do, but at least Picard here, he's commanding, his principles are intact, and I really like the way he's managing the really busy day that he's having at the start of the film, where there's the first contact stuff going on, mm. everyone wants his attention, there's all this stuff, and I do like how frantic that opening scene is, where it's like, okay, we're going to invite these people in and all that kind of stuff. We need to do this diplomatic thing and then we need to go here and we need to do this and we're thinking about this. Oh, look, here's Worf and <laughs> Jordy wants to talk to me and everything's going on at once. I do like the way that scene is built. I think that's a really yeah. good, just really good exchange of various dialogues going on. I am really surprised that you don't think that this Picard matches the Picard in the TV show because for me, it was kind of like a natural progression sort of seeing him taking a stance against the federation and i haven't seen as much star trek as most people i have to say most people most people so you've appeared on several star trek podcasts i know it's incredible but it looked very much like this natural progression for picard from this person taking a stance against the federation questioning the principles and trying to shine a light on ulterior motives and what may be happening there. And it made me think about how in Picard, the TV show, because I haven't watched all of the other shows, they're talking about the thing that he'd done and how he'd been removed from the Federation and things like that. And I thought, ooh, maybe this was the start of it. But I think it's just one of those instances. Is that to be understood? My issues with Picard are how they answer all the questions that they pose and they don't do it very well and the ending is has its moments the TV but the ending show. is pretty bad in terms of what happens to Picard himself. There's a full podcast on it. Check it out. Craig, I don't want any spoilers. I haven't finished watching it. But nice plug. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. Right. Always be yeah. plugging, as Kat says. <laughs> So there's that problem. Well, I'm curious now. I much prefer Captain Picard. I mean, he's very Captain Picard here. Even though he's an action hero at the end, which doesn't really suit him. He's running about with his gun shooting at Isn't things. Isn't that what he's supposed to do? <laughs> no, Picard never did that on the TV show, really. He usually sat on the bridge and told other people to do it. That's what Riker was for. Well, it's maybe good then that he's there first-hand experiencing it so he can better understand situations instead of just sending people in to do it for him. I think that's an interesting sign of leadership. I think I prefer the onboard stuff as well. You prefer the onboard? Yeah, like what Craig was saying about, you know, the stuff he has to deal with at the beginning, all the diplomacy stuff and mm. getting, oh, up, yeah. getting decked out in his dress whites and everything. I, I, I think I prefer all that business of being captain over, right, I'm going to have to go down to a planet and kind of run around and shoot some rifles and things. I like seeing all the kind of master and commander type stuff that he has to do as the captain of a ship. And wearing black beads on his head. Yeah, I like all yeah, that stuff. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was quite interesting, but again, very strange. Did you clock the ensign? You know, the ensign that he invites into the room uh-huh. and says, tell the chef to skip the fish course. Did you clock her expression? Yes. It's almost like... I've made it. The captain wants my attention. Oh. Tell the chef to skip the fish cord. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She I just looks that. so defeated. I don't recall <laughs> that. <laughs> no, I just remember was, that guy. It was a slight detail, but it was, uh, it was good. Well, beyond me. Sorry. Star Trek beyond you. <laughs> just the way she screws up her face, it's 
It's almost like this extra was like, I'm going to pretend like I really don't like getting these types of orders. And then she did it. Is it something called acting? Just, oh God. One day I'll get given a good job. I think it might be called acting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. It's a good little detail. I also like the guy that approaches him and says, Hi, Captain, we met at this conference. Did you read my paper? And he's just like, I loved how rude he was to that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He was blatant right to his face. Just the expression. You could tell, I don't want any of this. Yeah, that was funny. I've seen the film so many times, I remember what the topic of the paper was. It's a paper about thermionic (laughs) transconductors, whatever those are. But you can tell that Picard's thinking, I honestly can't think of anything more boring than reading a paper about those things, whatever they are. So, (laughs) of course, (laughs) But I do love that. It's just, we met at this conference with my paper. (laughs) Sorry, excuse me, Captain Stuff. Yeah, I like that. It must be good to be Captain and just throw that in. No, sorry. (laughs) But I do really like that scene. And it's this thing, because Worf was on Deep Space Nine at the time, as in the TV show and the place, because... It's a place, and the TV show is named after it. But he was on that show at the time, so when they were making Next Generation movies, in First Contact, he's on the Defiant, which is a ship that Deep Space Nine has, and it gets damaged, and he gets beamed aboard the Enterprise because the Defiant is no use at that point. But in Insurrection, he just turns up with no explanation. And Picard even asks him, what the hell are you doing here? And then he starts to explain, Mm -hmm. but then they go to something else and cut it off so no one's interested it's just Worf's back because it's a film and he needs to be in it and that's it's it it's kind of shoehorned <laughs> those people in there I'd forgotten about all those wee bits but he's only in these films to be laughed at really he goes through oh, puberty that again guy. which is great it does lead to some quite funny moments some juvenile funny moments I thought that was because of the planet yeah it is that was because the of the planet was having on it him. was yeah Oh, what a shame can't think of anything worse <laughs> it's just the it is the gorch it's like gorch and Data's like pimple sir you hear him whisper <laughs> yeah yeah he just gets bullied by his and that's again at the start there's a lot of really crazy things that happen in the very first part of the film I have to be honest yeah. and then Riker just calls him out on it he's like you Klingons never do anything small do you and Worf's just like god this is why I left that's so rude <laughs> This guy being bullied by his superior officer. (laughs) I have to be honest. I thought some parts of this film reeked of Star Wars. In what way? Do you know the bit where Picard is trying to defuse the bomb or whatever? And they're on that really tall platform. That made me think of Star Wars. That's all I had to say. (laughs) Okay, I don't see how. I don't remember any sequences in Star Wars where essentially the climax was uh-huh. over the console. <laughs> <laughs> but that sort of visualisation... The interesting thing in that sequence is I feel like they ran out of money because you'll notice the background is completely blue. It's as if it's just a blue screen and they've not added anything. It could just be space. <laughs> but I definitely was watching that thinking how many times have we got to see more spaceships where there's just lots of little platforms and no floors and somebody's just going to fall down. Well, I guess it kind of causes a cool ending where he's at one end of that ship or whatever it is and the explosion is triggered at the other end and you see it approaching and then he's able to be transported off Mm. just in time. But how many films have that where you watch the explosion 
And then that baddie's like, oh, no, it's going to be me. And then the perceived good guy is like, ha, 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 joke's on you because I'm getting it here. I feel like I've seen that before, but I can't think of where. Well, it's been in lots of things. There's a bit in Batman Begins that's kind of similar, where the train's about to derail and Batman says, I'm not going to kill you, but I won't save you. And then he leaves. <gasps> but that is killing him. <laughs> but no, no, you killed him, Batman. I don't care how you just. That is him. killing him. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does that a lot. Yeah. Wow. Batman, you nasty. Yeah. I do have a bit of an issue with that whole defeat of Raffo, though, because at that point, so Picard gets beamed out by the Enterprise, fine. But at this point, Riker doesn't know anything about the situation. He doesn't know who the other person on the Collector is. He doesn't know what's been going on because they're only just back. So what he does is he beams Picard off and leaves someone else to die. Yeah. And also, that's not very Starfleet. What they should do is take him into custody and make him stand trial. Not just, oh well, I'll leave and you can blow up. I thought that they were going to beam both of them out of there. And I thought that's what was going to go down. They should have. There's no reason why not. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, but it was the last few minutes of the film and when you've got an exploding spaceship with the baddie on it, you just got to leave them on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Riker doesn't know. Riker doesn't know the situation. He's just bad. You're right about that. But he doesn't know. I thought that he had heard... That something was going to. No, they were just back. He was like, Enterprise to Picard, what's your status? And he's like, I might need a lift in a minute or so. And that's all he says. Wow. <laughs> Leave well, the other guy. It's Picard's fault then. He should have <laughs> The other guy, no good. Let him die. <laughs> There's actually a deleted scene where Raffle gets fired out into the rings and he becomes a baby. There's what? a deleted scene when that happens. No. What? No. Please link that to me. Why didn't I read that I in trivia? That. I'd watch that. <laughs> oh. It's like a big balance. It's a deleted scene. It might be on YouTube, I don't know. It's like a model cop a big balance. Is he a baby with his own memories or is he a baby with a reset brain? I don't know. The scene is just literally that. It's not even finished. It's just he gets oh. fired out into the rings and then he just gets younger very quickly. They must think that you can't be inherently good or bad. It must be that they believe that it's all about nurture. If they thought that that was like a good way. I don't know. I suppose there would have been some kind of button on it where it's like, well, now there's a chance to do things right with him in the future or whatever. But that's not what they do. That's very insulting to his family. Very insulting. They just blow him up. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> they chose the easy route out. Interesting. No due process for Ruafo. Just... Atomized. That's what he gets. I thought it was really easy for them to get his friend on board, though. Too easy. It seems like they were like, he's weak. Let's get him. It turned him quite quickly. Turned him so quickly. Well, he already had his doubts, and I guess Picard recognised it, and that's what Mm. Picard's good at. I do love the bit, actually, where they're chatting, and Picard's getting taken to wherever they're taking him and uh-huh. he's just calling him a coward and <laughs> yeah without the moral fortitude to prevent an atrocity and then and he, he pauses to get in the lift and then he just starts again yeah where he left off and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> you offend me yeah he gets in there and he gets in there really yeah. fast because then he's like well I don't know how to do it and he's like this is what you do but I did yeah. wonder what was going on. I find that believable because they did seed the whole he's having his doubts, he's mm-hmm. not quite as on board with his mission as he thought he was going to be. And mm-hmm. 
when it started to get into lethal territory, that was when he's out. Yeah, well, when they were saying, you know, like, oh, yeah. we'll just kill them, and he was like, what? And I think it's because it's not revealed at that time, I think, or is it, that it's their family? No, it is known at that point, because one of the arguments is it must have been hard being down on the planet, seeing them all again, mm. like looking through the eyes of childhood oh, yeah. again and all this, and it's, it's trying to prompt him to think about those days and gets a bit of catharsis at the end. He gets to be reunited with his mother. Yeah. You like yeah, that? Just that was kind of a really nice sweet. moment. It was really sweet, because it was like... Somebody recognising the error of their ways and just how much they'd gone off course and maybe been misled by others and being re-accepted by their family. It was really lovely. Really sweet. (laughs) I thought the film did do some emotional connections and relationships quite well. It's just almost a shame that there was all this other stuff in some ways. Although, if I view it like an episode, then... It was good and I enjoyed it. But when I think about it being like a film, I don't know, I feel like I judge things differently when it's a movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's a very weird film. It's one of those where it's kind of how did this get made because it is so underwhelming yeah. on the surface of itself that yeah. it, it's weird that it got made. But after First Contact, the Star Trek franchise was pretty hot for cinema at that point because it mm. did really well. It brought in people that weren't necessarily fans, so they were like, yeah, let's get another one of these on the go, and then mm-hmm. we'll get Freaks to direct it because he knows what he's doing. And I don't have any issue with the direction. I think Freaks does know what he's doing still. And then they made this. <laughs> weird. We made it up. Yeah, I mean, for us, we watched it on Sunday. It was Sunday afternoon. The weather, it was overcast. We had snacks. And we just sat on the sofa and watched it together. And it was good and enjoyable because I think the conditions matched watching a feature length episode of Star Trek. It was just one of those things where it felt like just quite a nice chill out, also what the hell kind of hour and a half or however long it is. But I can't think of having gone to the cinema to watch this. I can't think of this being my eight o'clock I think you're movie right. night. I think it was that kind of low key Sunday afternoon sort yeah. of thing where you're like, yeah, just let's stick on an episode of Colombo. Yeah. Don't bring Colombo to this because you, <laughs> you know I love Colombo. But honestly, it was just like a chill Sunday afternoon. We're going to watch some retro crazy shit. <laughs> and it happens to be this Maha episode of Star Trek. And I have to use the word Maha because from watching Indian TV shows, Every now and again in a TV show, they will have an episode called the Maha episode, which will usually be double the length of a regular episode, sometimes longer. And it basically means great, the big or great episode of this TV show, where they'll shoehorn a lot of plot lines, a lot of different elements. You'll see return of other characters and a lot of shit will go down. For me, I just kept on thinking of it as this Maha episode of a TV show where <laughs> they just were like, we can just do what we want. It kind of almost stands alone, but ultimately it ties in with everything else. When it finished, it was a bit like, I bet the next episode in the season picks up exactly where this leaves off. It's a pretty good summation. <laughs> That's just how I felt. The funniest thing at the end is where they fly off, where they leave the region and they don't have a warp core. Because yeah. they blew it up earlier in the film, so it was a long way home. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I 
can't believe they don't have a spare one in their boot. <laughs> no. There's only one, and they blew it up. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that was the problem. Yeah. There's nothing to stop them using that weapon again, and we're fresh out of warp cores. I don't even know what a warp core is, but I'm viewing it as like some sort of nitro or accelerator. It's the engine, basically. Oh, it's the thing they use to travel at warp speed. So what are they going to do? Just float? I don't know. I'm guessing they were going to call someone and be like, oh yeah, could you bring us a spare warp core? I don't know if the AA has that kind of reach, back though. To near Starbase. Yeah, it might do. <sighs> well, they were able to contact Starfleet. Once they left the region, they were able to get a message to the Federation to say, by the way, do you know about this mission? Because this is pretty crazy here. We need you to look into this a bit yeah. further. And then the Federation are like, what? That just cost us like 20 billion Bitcoin. All right, cool. Well, it wasn't very well spent. Also, we're not supposed to have cloaking devices, but that's another issue. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah. Mm, crazy. Yeah. Who's your favourite character from this? From this? Data. Data and Worf. They're my favourite. Yeah. Even the Worf's just there to be laughed at. But I've always liked Data. He does have some nice little scenes with the kid. Yeah, you mentioned the I Terminator. I thought it was like a really gentle version of John Connor in The Terminator. He was like learning how to be a, a child. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. The hay time, play times. It's about the entry comes out of the hay. And yeah. Yeah. Oh <laughs> We're crushers like data. It's time to go home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Data, you need, yeah. need to have a little bit of fun every day. She did a shit. Your dinner's ready. <laughs> but doctor, can I have five more minutes? Come on, data. We've got a million years to the nearest star base because we don't have a warp core. So. Oh. <laughs> You'll be the only one that survives. Oh my god, and then that's where Prometheus <laughs> kicks off, right? <laughs> Save it for Alien Day. <laughs> In a couple of years. Yeah. So according to Wikipedia, this film grossed twenty two point four million over its opening weekend. On the opening weekend. What was the budget? In nineteen ninety eight that must be like one billion of today's money. Billion. <laughs> 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 It was the highest grossing of that time, apparently, that weekend. So. Wow. So its budget was somewhere between 58 and 70 million oh. US dollars. It must have made it back, though. Did it? Oh, they've made it back, yeah. Wow. It just seems quite low budget when you think about it. For the 90s, yeah, it does though. Kind of low budget. They do a lot of location shooting, which is nice. Mega. It's a nice location they're in for the planet. If this movie is anything like other Star Trek films... I think we're just going to have to stick with kicking it on an afternoon where the weather's bad and watching it with some snacks. Maybe next year I'll pick a good one. <laughs> what? what? That would be good. Are there, like one that's are there good ones? Considered good. Like an older one? Yeah. In terms of the Next Generation movies, people argue that the only good one is First Contact. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I my nemesis, but it's... It has problems. So what's next then? In Generations, well, we were here last year. Yes. Nemesis is the next film in the canon, and uh, it's the last one with the next-gen crew. Every other film has Kirk in it. Oh no, I don't know how I feel. I need to understand what next-gen and new-gen and... In-gen. Um, in-gen and Nexus means. <laughs> in-gen. <laughs> well, original generation is Kirk. Next generation's Picard, in-gen is Jurassic Park. <laughs> Can you imagine that crossover Star potential? Star Trek X Jurassic Park. Yeah. Raptors <laughs> in space. Like there's dinosaurs, beam us up, job done. Yeah. They haven't gone there though, have they, with Jurassic Park? 
space. Yeah. No. no it's not the yet. new frontier. I'm just waiting on that happening. Is it the new frontier or the next frontier? What is it that people say in Star Trek? <laughs> the final frontier. The final frontier. <laughs> Oops. I only came here because I got told there were snacks. <laughs> and you were lied to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could have snacks here, I just don't. I purposely didn't bring any snacks through with me because I'm notorious for being that person who just eats in the background. In terms of Picard in this film, though, he does take a more gung-ho approach to everything, and some of that is to do with the planet affecting him, but he does seem to be a bit more rebellious even before that. Like I mentioned about the, no, we're going to take a detour on our way to our actual mission and things like that, but he's very quick to take off his pips Mm. and get the leather jacket out of storage, and he takes more weapons than he can possibly carry. My question about that scene where he was kind of gearing up is the rest of the crew all come down and the ones that are going to go to the planet with him are out of uniform. And the two who get ordered to stay or to take control of the ship are in uniform. So did they already know? Had they already kind of divvied up the duties and thought, right, well, Jordi and Riker, we're going to stay, so let's not get changed. Let's not put on our leather jackets. I guess that the headcanon could be a bit of a loyalty thing. They all have a chat amongst themselves and say, we're going to support the captain because we all believe in this. So me and Jordy are going to stay here because we know he'll tell us to do this. <laughs> and then we'll all get dressed up because we want to go to the surface plus badass leather jackets. They just made the decision for him. Yeah. I love how Riker and Jordy drag the rest of the crew down with them. We're disobeying orders and so is everyone else on the ship now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can be absolved of responsibility because they were just following orders. And Riker or Picard can take responsibility for what went on. Yeah. I just don't want to let this escape us, but can we talk about when Picard says, no, no, give me something Latin. (laughs) (laughs) He does his little dance. No, no, not that kind of Latin. (laughs) The mambo. (laughs) (laughs) Then he kind of thinks to himself, wait, I'm feeling frisky. I must be getting younger. It must be this planet. Must be this weird planet that's making me like music that doesn't sound like it should be played at a funeral. So when you just ask the computer for music as if that's supposed oh my to be God. enough. Just computer they music. Had... Spotify, continue. Yeah, they had Alexa back in the 90s. That's mental. I did enjoy it and I think I have to say that I'm sure for people who are mad into Star Trek that seeing this movie where they are kind of set on a planet where they become the sort of more uninhibited freer versions of themselves was probably a really fun thing to watch but it does make me think a little bit of awkwardness of Tobey Maguire's (laughs) 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 Spider-Man was it cringy to watch it at the time or was it actually just really fun because the characters got to listen to Latin and dance a whole bunch or sing along to like musicals or talk about their boobs or talk about their boobs shave off their beards stroke each other on the neck I must have laughed at the time because I do still laugh now at the things that are probably quite cringy the Gilbert and Sullivan scene I still find it hilarious and the have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up <laughs> yeah quote. but it's not the quote itself I find funny it's the fact that Data's just standing there listening to mm-hmm. it 
waiting for them to notice him, and then he goes and says it to Worf. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did read it a little bit basic. And the, the other bit I always laugh at is the bit where he whacks the drone with the butt of his phaser rifle, and he says, definitely feeling aggressive tendencies. Oh, yeah. You get a bar of the Klingon theme in there as well, because I guess it's a badass moment. Mm. Well, it should have been a badass moment. But I think a lot of the combat stuff is quite embarrassing to watch as well. Just them shooting drones and then they shoot next to the sonar and then they fall down a hill. It's just kind of, this is what passes for action, apparently. (laughs) Their lasers, I have to say, are very slow. They're the slowest lasers I've ever seen. Maybe, actually, I'm just feeling the effect of being on that planet. And that is just me slowing things down. You're just enjoying the moment and thinking, wow, I'm really appreciating (laughs) these special effects. And then there's that polystyrene rock that Data lifts that just doesn't look you know what? real at all. Please don't call me on that. I enjoyed that display of strength. Oh, yeah. I want a rock like that so I can pretend I am that strong. It's just the way he awkwardly lifts it. It's supposed to look like nothing to him, which is fine. But if you watch the rock, it just doesn't look like anything. It just doesn't look the least bit real. It doesn't match the surroundings. It doesn't do anything. It looks like a giant potato. And Picard lifted that woman with ease as well. Yeah, but that's just because he's like super... Because he's an action hero. Yeah. I know, but lifting people up isn't that that easy. But she's like 400 years old, so she's probably light as anything. Yeah, she's a twig, yeah. Actually, she must be, what, 450? He also gets crushed by a cave-in, and he only gets a a bit of a cut on his head. And a lot of dust on his jacket. Mm Mm-hmm, his duster. Nothing on his face, just (laughs) dust on his jacket. He loses that jacket in this mission, he doesn't get it back. That whole scene is like a scene in Hercules, the Disney version. So when Megara gets like all the rocks on her and then gets rescued by Hercules because he gets his strength. I don't remember it, but sure. You don't remember it? I've only seen Hercules like once and it was a long time. Oh my gosh, what? Oh my gosh. Yes, I accept the comparison. Well, thank you. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, she was so Megara. And if you're wondering if Geordi's cured eyesight lasts, it doesn't. He's back to wearing the cybernetic implants in the next film. Making his eyes blue. So that means he can't see sunsets. They're sort of metallic, aren't they? Oh, I thought they were like a really light mm. blue. And if I were him, I would just take a year off and just wait until it sticks and then go back to polite society afterward. I polite mean... society. But he doesn't. We've got <laughs> worlds saving to do, so who can say... He has engines to maintain. It's more important than being able to see. They should have just stayed there for the whole of the 300 and whatever days shore leave that Picard had. They could have all just taken a big holiday. They earned it. Group holiday? Yeah. (laughs) Group holiday, yeah. Because there's nothing better than going on holiday with the people you work with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What did you think of the joystick? Oh, I, I loved it. The joystick. Loved the joystick. The, the fact that the Enterprise has a joystick. What did they call it? Like the manual control column or something? <laughs> the manual steering column. Manual yeah. steering column. <laughs> <laughs> With it being the 90s, I felt like they could have had anything. It could have been a controller from like a Sega Mega Drive and I would have been okay with it. There is IMDB well, trivia about Atari that. it was Atari joystick, yeah. actually. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm okay with that. that. I'm okay with that. He presses the red button when he grabs it, but what does the button do? How is this controlling? It makes it active. <laughs> and why don't they just use it all the time? <laughs> it's also the fact that it has to kind of hunch over while he's using it. There's no seat just in the middle of the floor. So that has never been deployed 
at any other time then. This is what I'm looking for, the history of the manual steering column. No, never. Never. No. But Riker taking the helm is actually a callback to Next Generation. He's one of the best pilots around. So that's why he says, get out of the way, Ensign. You don't know what you're doing. I'm taking over. Which is great confidence yeah, from your commanding officer, isn't it? I, thought so he I don't think you can do this job. I'm going to do it. I mean, the other guy leaves pretty quickly. And then the officer on the console next, she's quite sassy. She keeps sassing him. you always got someone better than you looking over your shoulder as you're trying to do your job. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've seen enough Next Generation to see that when Riker's on the bridge, he just sort of leans over the consoles. He usually leans mm-hmm. over Data's mm-hmm. shoulder and puts his leg up and stuff, and it's, it's like, that's really distracting. Yeah. So please don't do that. Wow, <laughs> maybe he just really wants to show how stretchy he is. He's fairly physically imposing. Wow, well, he's a big guy. He's a tall man. Just get him a bigger chair. <laughs> yeah, the joystick. The joystick is something else, but it's never used oh. again. Although on the TV show Enterprise, they have a a joystick at the helm but then does the joystick know if you're one of these people that likes inverted controls or normal does everyone have their own (laughs) does it just pick it up from your fingerprints so you don't have to go in the options menu and change it I think you just have to figure it out could be a deleted scene where Riker just tries to go well down relatively speaking and end up going up and he's like oh no I've done that you know it'll be like an independence day yeah exactly exactly <laughs> he's like oh no Picard's forward. left it <laughs> inverted again <laughs> I told Picard not to fly the ship <laughs> yeah that'd be funny <laughs> inverted controls yeah it's really stupid but it's kind of charming in a way yeah I agree it's one of those things where you know, someone put this in this film for some reason and we quite enjoyed it <laughs> something else that was in the film that we quite enjoyed was seeing that face stretching action oh my god yeah when it's the admiral yeah oh my god yeah that could have been a number of films the most awkward fight ever where Dougherty finally stands up to him and yeah it's so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that face stretching made me think of is it Total Recall where is it that Arnold Schwarzenegger film and they're on that planet and their face starts get your ass expanding. to that planet What's that film? Total Recall. Yeah, it's Total Recall, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just made me think of that sort of Total thing. Total Recall, yeah. Yeah, where their eyes are popping and they're like... Are you expecting Dowerty to, to start yelling, you blew my cover? <laughs> I was expecting them to <laughs> become plasticine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's the casual bit after it where he's like, Admiral Doherty will not be joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Yeah, the face stretching stuff was... It was actually pretty grotesque, where you see the peeling the skin over the skull and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Putting his teeth in. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. But it's actually quite grotesque for what was a PG film. I don't know why they can just get a facelift. I don't know why they had to keep... Or they could have ironed their face. Steamed it. Is it ever really explained? It doesn't really kind of Why is their skin falling off? What is going on? Why they... It's probably in the novelization, which I have read, but I can't remember. <laughs> but I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they really wanted revenge and it took them so long to get it. And they were pr- prolonging their lives through these procedures that oh. involve them extracting toxins from their bodies and all that stuff. And 
it was it it just disfigured them at the point where they were unrecognizable. So it's effectively the revenge is just slowly destroying them. So they've been on that planet for four hundred years, but we don't learn. It was about a century ago. Right. They said okay. about a century. I was going to say, I didn't think that I'd learnt when they had left the planet. Okay, so they've been living for a little bit longer. But it's desperate because Warafo's at the end of his life. He can't go through many more of these procedures. So that's why he's so desperate to finish. Yeah, I think one of my notes earlier actually had been about him. I think I said something about, they were talking about the 600 people on the planet and stuff and I just wrote I think the guy who needs his skin stapled on could be accommodated but that's before I learnt that he was banished that he'd been banished and that he had murderous tendencies even though it was implied but I just thought you know I'm sure they could accommodate this one person who just needs to like, take staples out of his face health spot. yeah <sighs> for sure well Ruffle definitely wouldn't survive normal exposure for long enough for it to impact him in any way. I think that's what the film's getting at. Again, it doesn't go into it, but that's what it's mm. getting at. Mm. The idea that most of the Sona won't survive that long. And There's all that history about the who was right in the sense of were they right to be banished? Or was it just because they held an oppositional viewpoint that's perfectly valid in the grand scheme of things as well? There's no coverage of that whatsoever. Yeah, it seems a bit more complex than they really went into. For sure. I'm guessing there's not a background movie. I mean, you've only got an hour and 40 minutes, right? It's probably in the novelisation, because it usually is. Is that how long it was? Because I have to say to its credit, it definitely didn't feel that long. And that's good, because I feel like sometimes, especially in these kinds of films, they can just feel very long with a lot of superfluous parts. No, it gets moving very quickly. To its credit, it throws you in at the start, which... You just have to accept. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like I got into it. I do quite like that opening sequence where Data just goes nuts. I think that's quite good. And then eventually he takes the, the helmet of his suit off and you just see his head just <laughs> floating in midair. Oh yeah, floating about. That's what you did earlier when your... Blended into your Zoom background. Your Zoom background <laughs> became... One with your body and you just see your head. <laughs> and then you get that in, invisible Doing fight where they knock over a couple of plant pots and all that stuff. <laughs> oh gosh, maybe he's on dead. Yeah, that was some unrivaled effects yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, so I think we've about covered it. I would think. I don't think there's a lot more to say about this film. I think we've said yeah. too much, perhaps. Some might say it's for the listeners to decide. <laughs> I think Natalie, any thing that you didn't get to cover that you wanted to make sure was talked about? I think I said my summary already, maybe I don't know, half an hour ago, but I stand with it. I think that this, if we've all said it, felt like a TV episode. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. you just got to choose the right time to watch it. Where does this sit on your list of favourite Star Trek films? Ooh, I don't know. Well, there was a point where it was in the top ten. Oh, gosh. <laughs> ten Star Trek films. Should you regret asking this question? Oh wait, does that just mean that you think it's terrible? No, I don't think it's terrible. There are worse Star Trek films than this. Into Darkness, for example. The motion Mm -hmm. picture. Or the motionless picture. (laughs) Star Trek V is worse than this. So that'll be next year. Can't wait. Could be. No, Nemesis is next. 
I don't know what will be next year. Next year's first contact day celebration. Will we round off the next generation films? I don't know. You choose. I thought you had a particular order. No. I just kind of wing it every year and decide on one. <laughs> Maybe we'll just round off the next gen films next year. Maybe not. Oh, well. We'll find out next year. Or you pick one that you think is good and you pick one that you think is terrible. Tom Hardy's in Nemesis, right? He is. What? Playing an evil clone of Picard. So I feel like we should revisit that. What? Wait, I vote that one. In fact, can we watch that one next week? <laughs> you can watch it whenever you like. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to cover it next week, though. We could record next year's First Contact Day special next week. <laughs> All our referencing's out of date. <laughs> Just be super prepared. Super prepared. The world has ended, and you've scheduled this podcast to be released. Yes. Yeah, tragic. Angus, is there anything you, we didn't talk about that you really wanted to talk about and just your general summary of what you think of this thing? No, I don't think there's anything that we haven't already covered. Yeah, I mean, it was inoffensive. I wasn't bored by it. It was, as we said, kind of a good Sunday afternoon movie. There's enough in there that's either hilariously dated or, you know, like, <laughs> why did they put that in there? The karaoke sing-along song, Bouncing Ball, the joystick, the face-stretching... There's enough in there that kept me entertained when maybe other parts of it were a bit more mundane or we were saying it's like a a long episode because they go to a planet and help a species of people who don't have very much technology and they're kind of exploring quite nice looking scenery and stuff. So, you know, there's all all nice, good, inoffensive stuff with some fun stuff thrown in there as well. Yeah, and I would kind of just reiterate that, yeah, I was sure that I'd seen all of the Next Generation films at the end from most of this was like... Have I seen this? <laughs> I, yeah, I was really confused because I was certain I had. And I think this might have been the first time I've seen this film. <laughs> so you either missed it or completely forgot it. Either is possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to say one thing we didn't touch upon, which really I only thought about right now when Gus said his summary, was that I thought it was a really interesting critique. I think that this film handled a lot of contemporary current crises that were happening time and world events and one of them I think that I've just really picked up on is the fact that we are so obsessed with being technologically advanced and technology being a sign of achievement and of humanity's growth and rating of intelligence and so I think it's really interesting that the people in the movie think that they're above or beyond the people who have rejected technology and view them as being less because they don't have that technology. I think that's something that's still considered today as being less than those that do have technology as being like a bad thing. Just thought that was a really interesting thing to point out. Yeah, although I don't think Picard subscribes to that idea because he is very respectful of the Baku, probably because he you know he fancies one of them, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still... He's very respectful. He, he respects them. and I really like the sincerity of the delivery of the line where they've quote-unquote rescued the hostages, which is funny in itself because they're, they're sitting having lunch with the people, with mm. the natives. Yeah. Which is, is quite amusing. Yeah. And then it's just the sincerity where he delivers the I apologise for our intrusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, yeah, he means that. That's classic Picard. There's a reason that he is who he is. And yeah. I think it's really interesting. The writers must have been very aware of certain things and so it was really interesting to see it 
so deliberate in a movie that's so untethered, I guess, to reality and that it is set in the future and in space. I think this film in general is a weird one because it is very disposable, but there's something in there that never quite gets the chance to be explored. Yeah. Like we talked about with the core issues mm-hmm. on display, you just don't get enough meat added to them and they overcomplicate them with different things rather yeah. than talking about them and exploring them and giving it a good Star Trek sheen to it, give it a good morality story that we can sink our teeth into. And I think they do kind of try to turn it in a bit of an action film, which is embarrassing at points. <laughs> all the planet mm-hmm. stuff. I love all the ship stuff. All the ship combat stuff is really good because just the way those set pieces are constructed is really good. But on the planet, you've got essentially just firing lasers at drones, which isn't that interesting to watch. <laughs> and you get wharfs doing that dramatic jump to the ground. Or maybe Data that does it. I think it's Data yeah. that jumps I think Data does, does like a little thing down the side of a hill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least nobody was on a dirt bike, right, Angus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could be thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. Although the next film, in Nemesis, Picard does have a buggy that he drives around in, in one Sweet. sequence. That is it. That one needs to be next. He's determined to watch Nemesis. Well, you mentioned it like four times now. Maybe three, actually. But I'm like, okay, you've said that one. Make it so. We're doing Nemesis next year, then. That's it. Decision is made. Cool. Yeah, we'll make it so next year. <laughs> it is decided. So on that note, I think we should wrap mm. up. So if you will step on the transporter pad, I will be able to beam you back to the planet of perpetual youth. Yeah, I guess. If that's you I'll go one. back there. I dig <laughs> it. Yeah. Go All back right. there. Yeah, yeah. So, Natalie, thank you for being here and talking Trek once again. Thank you for having me. She's nodding. It's an audio medium. She's nodding. A beggar. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Sorry to all of the people who love Star Trek more than I do for being terrible. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's good to get different perspectives. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's the mantra that we all live by. Should live by. Also, Angus, thank you for joining and talking Trek once again and enriching your life with this film. Thank you, me and Picard, inverted control master race. <laughs> I invert the controls as well. That's what it's all about. Okay, cool. You're invited. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about a manual steering column, but perhaps it's too lowbrow for even for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's for Neil before pod after dark. That's it. Yeah, not for this wholesome PG thing. Although Riker does call the Sona bastards in this film. They had kind of one swear word per movie for a bit. He gave it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, wouldn't you, as the director? We're back to manual steering columns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, I'm going back to my infinity pool, so I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yes, so again, thank you, and I will beam you out now. So, energizing. So, that was our chat about Star Trek Insurrection in honour of First Contact Day. I hope you're celebrating in whatever way you see fit. We have 42 years to go until the big day. We've got a world war to live through. It's all exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait to meet the Vulcans. 
welcome them with open arms. I'd like to thank YouTubers Captain Meat Shield for the supplied music. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please do leave a comment and a star rating if you are using the Apple system. And if you want to talk Star Trek or anything else, you can get us on Neil Before Blog on Facebook and Twitter or neilbeforeblog.co.uk. Leave a comment there. And we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Live long and prosper.